Hi, everybody. Welcome to the WAU Most Awesome Founder podcast, a show about entrepreneurs, innovators, advisors, and educators, and the stories that make them who they are today. I'm your host, Tris Vaams, and today I'm happy to have again as my co-host, Garrett McGowan. Today, we welcome to the podcast, Oscar Hartman, WAU alumnus, founder of several companies and angel investor in more than 70 companies of which 14 have reached unicorn status. Oscar, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, first of all, what we always do in this podcast is giving the floor to our guests to say something about their background, where they're coming from, what their initial journey has been. Can you do some storytelling about your personal background? <laughs> Okay, so I was born in Kazakhstan and grew up in a small village in Kazakhstan called Kaktirek. And since then I became basically an explorer, you know, like uh, Columbus. So I moved, uh, I moved several times within Kazakhstan to my grandmother and then back. And then we moved away from Kazakhstan to Germany. And then we moved several times in Germany. And then at, when I was 17, I moved to the U.S. I lived for one and a half years in the U.S. in Ohio, close to Canton, Ohio. Uh, then I went back to Germany, and uh, then uh, then all, and it continued like that all my life. So then I lived in in Moscow, in Kiev, in Malaysia, in in, in Japan, Tokyo, and I guess my journey continues. I'm 41 years old now. And just last year, I moved again. <laughs> <laughs> I became an explorer again, uh, this time already having uh, three children, uh, two boys and one girl. And uh, so they have also now, uh, you know, em embarked on this journey. So having this kind of explorer uh, world uh, traction, I always saw things in one place that did not exist in another place, yeah. you know, and it was obvious that somebody has to do this. And it started already as a child when, when you move from one city, you know, we, we, we didn't move voluntarily, we were moved. Yeah. <laughs> so when you, when you're moved and then, uh, for example, you really enjoyed playing volleyball and in the new place, there's no volleyball field. You think like, why not build one? And this is, uh, and once you get a little bit older and it's very childish, you know, because when I was in the U S when, when I was became like independent, when I turned 18 years old, I already saw in the U S the dot-com boom started. And I saw that in a small village in the U S you can basically buy every product that exists. Mm. So when I returned to Germany, uh, it was very easy to become an entrepreneur because I saw in the U S the insane success of Starbucks, because Starbucks in Ohio was so popular. You have to imagine the, the Starbucks we were going to uh, at Friday and Saturday, the, there was a parking lot 500 meters radius at, uh, around the Starbucks. It was full with cars. It was unbelievable successful. Okay. Uh, so it was not very hard to imagine that something like this could be successful in Germany. Mm. But, but I thought that in order to do Starbucks, you need the building. And I didn't think I can, you know, have a building back then. So, so then the, the second best thing was, uh, selling, uh, fitness nutrition products online. So that's how I started. Okay. And when I was in 11th, 12th grade, I became an entrepreneur and I started making 
like $20,000 profit per month after two years. And that got me hooked forever because even when I went to WHO and I had a job offer from BCG and, you know, all the banks and whatever, the $100,000 per year they were offering me were less than I was making in 12th grade. Uh, in <laughs> so it didn't seem like a very attractive offer. So basically, uh, I guess my one of my core themes in my life is that the best ideas in the world, they don't distribute themselves all over the world. So there's, there's ideas that, uh, that work all, some start working in Turkey, some start working, somebody makes a discovery in Japan, mm -hmm. somebody, just because somebody made a discovery in Japan, that does not mean it will automatically appear in Kazakhstan, in the village where I was born, you know, if there's no entrepreneur in Kaktirek who will find this idea, get inspired. So the diffusion of innovation happens via entrepreneurs mm. and a very few people, actually, it's quite surprising how few people there are in the world. It's almost nobody believes that what worked in one place will work in another place. Can, can you maybe give an example of, of a kind of trend that you're seeing now somewhere in the world where you are saying, oh, this is something that entrepreneurs should pick up and transfer? I saw friends on LinkedIn that you're quite active in the Middle East. So do you see yeah. there stuff happening that you think should be transferred to Europe and stuff like that? Now, one of the things that were, was invented in, in Turkey, for example, was quick commerce. So the mm. 15, 15 minutes grocery delivery, uh, it started from Turkey and then now it exploded all over the world. And I co-founded the company, for example, in Japan okay. with Onigo. And we are the only company in Japan. We are alone and we are the market leader because nobody in Japan thinks that will work. It's kind of the, the first reaction is always here in Japan, this will not work. And this is, this is true for everything, whatever works like anywhere. The, the only thing that people can believe is like, if my neighbor is doing something, then I can do it too. You know, mm -hmm. like this is like, people don't look very far. Mostly people look like what's the neighbor doing, what's the brother doing. And that's quite amazing. So at the moment, um, at the moment, some trends that very few people are picking up which is surprising to me. I'm not going to talk about AI and whatever. This is, this is exploding. Okay. Yeah. But there's a few things that are not, uh, that are not exploding. One is there's right now a very big revolution, slow, but steady revolution around asset management and property management. Mm. So the biggest asset class in the world, 60% of the global balance sheet is real estate. Uh, and it's residential real estate, commercial real estate, the way it is owned and the way it is managed, it's changing unbelievably, unbelievably. And one of the biggest trends is that the ownership is moving to big institutions. So if it used to be like 5% and in 10, 15 years, it will be like 40% of all real estate will be owned by large institutions and it has to be managed differently using technology. And this is one of the biggest trends that is not, it's, it's amazing how few people are busy building this. It's mm -hmm. absolutely, in, it, maybe it's contradictory, uh, but you know, sometimes you have group on and then all of a sudden you have 
150,000 people building the same thing at the same time. And then you have crypto or you have AI now. AI is probably the most competitive thing that ever happened because every single big company, every single middle company, every single small company and every single entrepreneur and every single startup is now building AI, you know? So it's like how this is like the most unpredictable uh, field I have ever seen. I, mm -hmm. I literally don't know who to bet on because it seems like a complete, a complete random walk. The, mm -hmm. I think the second thing that I see that there's also very few people who are doing it, and this, I think it will be very, very big, uh, is food distribution. So okay. food is, uh, the way food is distributed is changing. Uh, and obviously these are the fields that are changing much slower because people are like usually much more, the people pay much more attention to things that like kind of explode, you know, like, like crypto, Bitcoin. Or what. So the slow and steady uh, developments, they are not as visible. So food distribution is changing every year. The way farmers sell to distributors, the way food is distributed, the way it gets to restaurants, to, to small businesses, to, far, to markets, to everything. So one, uh, like last year sold, my stake in Ninja Cart in India to Walmart. Uh, so Walmart is acquiring the biggest marketplace in food and vegetable distribution. Uh, also, you, you, maybe you read that I was one of the biggest shareholders in Flash and Post, which was yeah. drinks distribution. Uh, and I think these, uh, okay, now uh, there was a hype in last mile grocery delivery, but in terms of the B2B supply chain, uh, almost nobody's working on that almost nobody in, in, in a lot of countries. So there's my, there might be like, there might be like 50 entrepreneurs. If you want to know the entire industry, you have to speak to like 50 people. <laughs> Can you, while if you want to know the entire industry in crypto, you have to speak to 50 million people, you know, like it's, can you, can you imagine the difference uh, that this makes? Mm. Oscar, I'm, I'm, I'm interested as a, as an American living in Germany, um, I can relate quite a bit to your multinational, your multinational journey, but you know, as I've dug deeper into the German startup ecosystem, I built a company here in 2009. It was very unsophisticated. I come back a decade later, it's, it's evolved a lot, but so much of it happened by German entrepreneurs looking at the U S and saying, yeah. seeing what was happening there. I mean, the rocket model was pretty much built on this, right? Yeah. You know, what you were talking about of how, um, you know, good entrepreneurs can look at other parts of the world, yeah. see innovations and bring them into their own markets. Do you believe that everyone is still looking at the US? I mean, you brought up an example of Turkey, which I think is pretty rare, but do you think people are still looking at the US to take the lead or are you seeing other parts of the world that are driving innovations that will eventually go global? Uh, US is number one. Hmm. Uh, it's absolutely so. number one uh, by far. It's, if you check, if you see the biggest, uh, latest trends, it's absolutely uh, amazing how how far ahead it is. But thankfully, uh, if you look at where unicorn founders are born, ninety five percent come from small cities, and talent talent is distributed evenly all over the world. So talent is distributed evenly. But ecosystems provide completely different opportunities. So the talent, of course, that is born in one place can 
reach its potential while the talent in another place. But because of sheer numbers, you know, the number outside Silicon Valley is so big that nevertheless, you still have, of course, uh, you, you have more and more people looking at China, especially in fintech, especially in property tech. Uh, China is leading in a lot of segments and you can, uh, you can definitely find a lot of innovation out of China, from India and from all, from Finland. From, it's much, much smarter to look everywhere, but definitely there has been, there has been a new uh, line of thinking. For example, I speak a lot to entrepreneurs in Africa. They look a lot at India because US is way too rich for them. For them, India is a much better example. So they, mm -hmm. like as soon as something becomes a unicorn in India, you immediately have five to 10 startups pop up in Africa. Uh, and the, the same is for South America, South America, Africa. So there's like a, a low GDP uh, innovation mm -hmm. diffusion, high GDP innovation diffusion, uh, but definitely. And you also had a trend where the U, a lot of US companies were going global more and more. And this was, uh, and now we have a new trend, which is a little bit of deglobalization yeah. where mm -hmm. Uh, where you definitely have a lot of companies saying, you know, guys, I just don't care about Kazakhstan at all. Like, I don't care. You can take it. I will never go there. It's like 155 priority in my life and I will never get, get beyond 20. So, mm. you know, I had literally once I had a call when I was doing the auto auction business, I had a call with the biggest auto auction company uh, in the U.S. called Mannheim. And they really, they literally, like I told them which countries I think this model will work and should we do a joint venture. And, and after I, I told them like 10 countries, they literally told me that, uh, Oscar, like birds will fly with the tail forward <laughs> faster than we will move to these countries. Like <laughs> it was like, this was for them the, the same as going to Mars. That this was mm. the, like, it was like absolutely impossible. So basically we ended up building all these 10 countries green field. Mm. Gotcha. And where do you think Germany fits into the equation? Yeah. Or do you think the future of Germany is still following the US or will Germany be a model that other countries look towards? I mean, we are, we are getting into stereotype territory here, uh, but let's Yeah, do let's it. not stereotype. I, I'm thinking prediction. I'm, <laughs> I'm more interested in your, your big picture view of um, where the trend is going. Uh, the, the, the thing with unicorns, unicorns are not about averages. Unicorn are about exceptions. And even in Germany, every unicorn will be an exception to the rule, because of course, in Germany, a lot of the entrepreneurship is within existing companies. Similar to Japan, Germany has a very entrepreneurial, you know, middle class of companies. Uh, and, you know, even if you, if you look like companies like Bosch and Siemens and all of them, they're very good at starting new businesses inside of the company. You, you have like, you have less of that in the US where a lot of the motivation system is so strong that it's much more capitalistic that people start new companies uh, all the time to beat the existing companies. Mm -hmm. Obviously also in Germany, for sure, for sure, you have a much less developed mistake culture. The, uh, it's not as bad as Japan because in Japan, mistake means, you know, suicide. So in Germany, it's not that bad. Uh, but obviously in Germany, no matter what you do, 
the culture will always be that you should have planned for this, you should have prepared better. It's not, it's not very common to just fucking do it and then let's see where we come out. It's not, it's not kind of valued. And also if you make a mistake, you look quite stupid. Uh, you know, that's why a lot of the German rich families, you, when you go to a German uh, like uh, entrepreneur event and you, you, you sit with a lot of great entrepreneurs, usually because I'm, I'm younger, I usually sit with their children, children of the, ri uh, of the richest fam families in Germany. And then you ask, what do you do? And there's like real estate. So we are doing a real estate development in Cologne. We are building this huge thing there. And nine out of 10, so these families are multi-billion dollar families. Mm. And, and nine out of 10 are busy 100% of the time doing real estate. Mm. Uh, and if these families are not building online education, online health, if they're not trying to disrupt you know, energy, who will, you know, it's like they have already all them. like, it's, it's very sad. So in the U S if you sit with at an entrepreneur's event with, with the kids of the richest families, they will be trying to have impact investing climate, you know, they will try to cure whatever sickness and so on. So it's much more interesting to sit at an entrepreneur's event in the U S than to sit at an entrepreneur's event in Germany. Mm -hmm. So it's really the culture of risk that is yeah. lacking. So, so, yeah. so Germany in Germany is always because the, the first guy who is moving, uh, for example, on AI, yeah, he has the biggest risk. That, uh, but now once something worked, Ger Germans are very fast followers and mm -hmm. they are good at executing when, they, when it's already a little bit clear what to do, you know, what to build. Uh, but this is, this is kind of, the, let's say, the stereotype. We kind of exaggerate it now, okay? Yeah. Uh, but nevertheless, it's true. It's very hard at the board. If you are a board in Germany and, and you, you are a founder and you are pitching to the board to do something, there better be a role model because otherwise mm -hmm. you will have a very hard time getting, it will be too, oh, too many questions. It's like, while... It actually, U.S. is quite unique in that. I think most countries in the world are like are like Germany. There's few countries who who really like kind of to to just get out there and uh, the road will show you the way and uh, you know the, the optionality and, mm -hmm. and having a success rate ha having a success probability of less than five percent and still doing it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because Oscar, you were talking about unicorns and you were emphasizing look uh, unicorns are an exception they are an outlier yeah now at the same exactly. time when i look at your investment portfolio you managed to identify 14 of these outliers 14 yeah. of these exceptions which seems yeah. like an exceptional performance as such yeah very so, lucky very can, lucky can you tell us a bit about your your explanation your rationalization for your exceptional performance why can you do this and why do other people completely fail in this objective? It's true. I have to be very grateful because this is totally an uh, outlier result that even big funds with a lot of uh, money cannot always mm -hmm. achieve. I have by now already 140 investments, uh, but out of that 25 were non-profit grant investments where I never expected a return. So I have over hundred investments, but it's true that, uh, so the reasons that I can identify are the following. The first is, I think not people become successful, but communities become successful. 
there are certain communities that move up and there are certain communities that move down and then die out. You know, remember you had the hippie culture in, in Woodstock and in the US and all this uh, hippie culture, it, it completely died out. They had like a, their own district in San Francisco and it became a hell, it became hell. There was, uh, everybody was sick, everybody was poor, everybody was, uh, and then there was no, there were no good families. No, and they died out. It went from like hundreds of millions to almost nobody because it was not a successful culture. It was not uh, compet competitive. There's 10,000 cultures that died out and they're in, in history. And I think the ones that, it still are here today are all very successful cultures. So when we speak about like German culture or French culture, you know, for, it must be a super, super well working culture because it still exists from 10,000 people, 10,000 cultures that existed. Then you have subcultures like WHU. For example, I have four, four out of 14 unicorns came directly from the WHO community. Mm -hmm. So in the VHU community, when somebody sends you an introduction, you always reply within 24 hours and you always take it seriously. You always give it, you know, a fair go. So, uh, so I was looking at every opportunity from VHU and I did four unicorns, which was Auto One, Flash and Post, Sender and Flink. For, for, at some point I was seed investor in, 10% of all German unicorns. And that is, and that is absolutely impossible. Uh, absolutely impossible. If I would not have graduated from VHU, it's impossible. So, uh, if you come, uh, from a, you know, I used to be an immigrant. I remember this immigrant community, you know, where at some point we know, especially in the beginning of the nineties, uh, it was not, you know, the only thing you get from that community at back in the day was like court cases, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> you, you would become witness of something bad all the time and things mm -hmm. like that. So depending on, on the community, uh, so that, that is the, that is the first insight. Uh, and that also happened in India, but in India I have four unicorns in India. It happened by luck because I, I went to India with, because I met one person at the conference mm. and, uh, I, I was only investing in the same business models that I was building. That was my rule. Okay. So mm -hmm. I never invested in business that I was not building. So in India, I invested in an online fashion business and from that connection. So every time I was looking for who is doing auto auction in India, I was going via that connection. And because I entered at the right point, my, then I made seven investments in India and four out of seven became unicorns. So. That was always, that was a lucky uh, random walk, I would say, but it was based on business models. So obviously the Carvana business model and the Auto One business model, they became successful globally and they beca became very, very big. Now they are a little bit in a crisis, <laughs> obviously. Um, but other than that, guys, I would be careful because the, the, the rationale behind this question is trying to find a pattern or trying to find a formula. Yeah. And the, the, uh, I looked at all the studies done, uh, on unicorns because there's now thousands of unicorns and even more founders and they have studied them back and forth. Uh, you know, and it's, it's, <laughs> what can you say? You know, like 
50% of unicorn founders have a business education, 50% have a non-business education. Okay, how does that help us? 50% is the first company, 50% is not the first company. Okay, mm -hmm. how does that help us, you know? 50% have done business in this industry before, 50% is the first time they do business in this industry. So they're newcomers. Yeah. Okay, so how, how does that help us, you know? So, okay. Uh, so the, the only thing I can say is that it's a multifactorial dynamic system and one factor can dominate uh, all others, for example, competitive dynamics or founder dynamics or something else. And it's completely unpredictable, guys. It's completely yeah. unpredictable. I, I, I have a good story to explain how unpredictable that is. Okay. The founder of Fotolia sold Fotolia to Adobe for 800 million. Adobe as a multi multi hundred billion corporation fucks the thing and up entirely after four years, they closed down Fotolia. Okay. So I'm sitting with the founder. He said, uh, Fotolia closed, uh, Adobe closed down Fotolia. I'm bored and I'm not happy not doing anything. So I took the entire team that built Fotolia and we are building the same business with the same team in the same industry all over again, because the, the, there's a, it's, it's back open. Mm -hmm. So I said, Alec, I want to buy 10% of this startup. He said, I don't need money. I said, I want to buy 10% name, say any number. I said, I don't care what, whatever number you say is what I'm going to pay for 10%. And then he said 50 million. <laughs> I said, okay, not quite any number, you know, like, not <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so actually I ended up buying uh 10% for, for 3.3 million seed stage. So okay, like, can you imagine what, what's the, what was the success probability mm. of that thing? Yeah. Like this, it's the same founder, the same team, the same industry, the same technology, the same everything. And guess what? One year later, the thing shuts down. It didn't, it did not work. Mm. It did not work. Mm. It did not work because it, it didn't match the expectations of the mm. founder and the team. They were not whatever. It's like, you can, you know, like I had so many situations where I was hundred percent sure it would work yeah. that, that ended up failing so badly that I was completely shocked, you know? Yeah. So I think it's, you cannot build a formula. You cannot build, uh, the only advice I can give what you can do, you have to teach your brain. We have this brain, which is learning it, and our brain is uh, able to work with a amazing number of factors and it can learn, uh, like, like AI, even better than AI, but it learns from the stories that we listen to. So if you mm -hmm. listen to podcasts like this, and you get the right stories. If you meet founders and you, the most important thing is to hear real life stories. The problem is that if you read the news, if you read mainstream news or even, you know, TechCrunch news, you, the problem is your brain becomes sick. It becomes completely illusional, completely, mm -hmm. especially mainstream news. Mainstream news kills your ability to be a good investor mm -hmm. because your brain will make the wrong conclusions on everything. So that's my main advice.
Oscar, I want to ask you about the one part of the investment process that maybe you do have control over, um, because outcomes are too hard to predict, obviously. But access to deal flow is something that you do have some control over. You've already mentioned the power mm -hmm. of the deal flow coming out of the Vehau ecosystem and opportunities coming your way. But you've also managed to find some pretty incredible companies all over the world. Do you have some tips for you know angel investors on how they can hack that top of funnel and get more opportunities coming their way because to be frank even some of the best vc firms have trouble accessing good deal flow especially outside of their core ecosystems yeah that's a good question so i think that the first principle that i uh, follow is i have money to invest and I am the bottom, the very bottom of the food chain. Mm -hmm. So nice. some people think because they have money or because they have a fund, they are the rich king sitting in the castle and they let the entrepreneurs come, you know, and then they, they do this or whatever, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, and, and that is true. And that is especially true outside of the US. So if you go to Africa, can you imagine in Africa a guy has... Yeah you know, hundred million dollars, he like the, the entrepreneurs, they call them, you know, lemmings or they call yeah. them whatever they give, they give funny names to entrepreneurs because the entrepreneurs are like, and my idea is that like any entrepreneur that would come to me, like I'm the king of the castle is adverse selection. Mm -hmm. So the entrepreneurs that I want to back, they have, they have to be in a, more powerful position than I am. So I am running after them, not they, they run after me. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is my basic approach to avoid adverse selection because the key is to, to avoid adverse selection. If you fish in the wrong ponds, uh, you will, you, you will get the, the wrong deals. So I use a proactive approach versus a reactive approach. Mm -hmm. So my proactive approach is very similar, uh, to entrepreneurship. So I think what I would like to build. So, and then I used to build it and invest at the same time. Now, since I'm trying to be a father to three kids, I promised my wife to not build something for five years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got a lot of, I got a lot of yellow cards uh, in the last 10 years, believe me. So, uh, now I think, what would I like to build? And then I try to find people who are building this. So I'm reaching out to them. Okay. So I'm, I'm saying who is building Q commerce in Australia. Then I meet everybody and then I make a bet on, uh, I, I, I met a bet. I made, I made a bet on sand, but unfortunately in Australia, all of the three market players went bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> all three went bankrupt. So no matter who I picked, uh, it, it didn't matter. So, uh, then I say, who is doing this business model in, uh, in Japan? And then mm. sometimes there's nobody building it. Mm. Some, sometimes it happens. There's nobody, but so usually my, the conversion rate is almost close to hundred percent. So usually mm. if you reach out to an entrepreneur, you say, look, I'm building the same business model as you. I, I know what it takes. I want to buy a small share of your company. Uh, I believe in this business model because of ABC. I believe in the market because of ABC. And then you meet the entrepreneur 
and you like the entrepreneur, you like the business model, you like the market, and then you make a quick decision. So usually it always works. And actually even more than that, usually they even want you to join the board because mm -hmm. entrepreneurs really love when they have a board member who has done it because there's such a big difference between theory yeah. and practice. So I have been on a lot, a lot of boards. I don't know how many board meetings I was on in the last 10, uh, but it is countless. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that's my strategy, proactive, a multi-country, few business models that I really understand well. Uh, when I pick a business model like property tech, for example, property management, I basically meet everybody who is working on this in the world because it's, it's like 50 people. Mm -hmm. So you, you're like, it's, it's, it's funny that some industries are big and you have only 50 people while, for example, in, in Amazon, mm. uh, sellers business, you have like millions of businesses. Yeah. Like it's a, it's a, it's like a, it's like a magnitude difference, three mm -hmm. magnitude difference. Yeah. So you are interested in a particular market, in a particular business model, you will seek out yeah. who are the people building stuff yeah. on that, and then you have to place a bet. Now, yes. just from my understanding, is it then that you simply place the bets blindly? Is it just like going to the casino and picking one of the three numbers, or is there still somewhere a kind of decision-making process on how you place your bet? And it's a bet, but still, do you have a kind of logic to make the final bet to what yes, kind of so elements do you are looking for making the final bet you know when uh when soccer players play soccer in the world final they don't have time to think they have to rely on their brain they have trained for 20 years mm. in order to intuitively mm. like if you watch messi play i watched messi at the world cup final I, I only watched him i watched didn't watch the ball i just watched messi if you look at some of the passes he's doing it is impossible to think it is impossible it is just like it's it's a feeling of the game mm. so i think i think it's the same for investors investors train their brain for 20 years so you train your brain so when you, when you see an opportunity, you, 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 you feel that I usually feel a strong energy. I have like a gut feeling and a very, very, very strong, uh, energy. I, I have more energy to want to do this than my fear of this will be one more of the 50 plus failures that I experienced in my life. Mm -hmm. So I, this, these failures are a lot of pain. So my brain basic reaction is don't do it but so the energy to want to do it is much higher so there's actually the so i i trust i trust my brain so i so what i do is i speak to the founder the founder is telling me usually three or four stories this is the story where i'm from this is the story why i decided to do this this is my dream this is what i'm dreaming about the, this these stories are very, very important because these stories contain his self-identity, his future vision. These stories contain a lot of things. So I always tell people, be very, very careful about the stories that you tell people, mm -hmm. even during, you know, informal dinners, the stories that you tell yourself, it's very, very important. So I listen to the stories at the end and, and that's what like the dream is important for me you know it's not enough to be from a village you have to be from a village and also have a dream you know mm. then uh, of, of course uh, while they tell me the stories for example why 
they are the ones building this business model. You understand his level of thinking, like what questions is he asking? How is he looking for answers? What was the, the, the rationale? And uh, I, of course, I like people who think very logically, you know, where I can, where I can see, wow, this is like fast, but also deliberate. So it's, but I cannot really, I honestly, sometimes I cannot tell you why all of a sudden I feel a burst of energy. It just happens. And I sometimes don't know why it's like my brain recognized something, but I definitely know that my brain likes immigrants. Okay. So whenever I see, whenever I see, when I met Hakan from out of one, I was sold after 20 minutes, you know, Hakan called me, he said, Oscar, there's Aramis after uh, in the France. Nobody is doing this in Germany. I built whatever. I want to build this. I was already sold. Everything else was just like confirmation bias. So um, my brain likes immigrants. My brains like people who execute fast. My brain likes speed. And my brain likes people who, who have on, this, uh, on some spectrum, they're on the edge. Mm -hmm. So like, let's say a human is like a hundred vector, hundred dimensional being or thousand dimensional beings. If you are in all of the dimensions, normal, yeah. it's very unlikely you will build a unicorn. You have mm -hmm. to be somewhere. You have to be on the edge in something. It doesn't even matter what it doesn't matter what it can be. You know, I picked up the most girls during university. It's also. <laughs> It's also an achievement, you know, it's mm -hmm. abnormal. You have to yeah. be abnormal in something. So that's what my brain is looking for. So uh, Oscar, you, you had mentioned earlier that you like to, you know, invest in communities, but now I've also heard you say that when it comes down to your analytical process, it seems to be all about people that you're investing in entrepreneurs rather than companies. Do you, is that what's important or do you also care about market size or USP or how innovative their tech is or, or do you, because I, I believe that my mentor told me that his top three criteria for investment were team, team, and team, you know, and would you, are you, do you feel that strongly that it's really people and they'll figure out whatever they're going to build? No, I, do, I don't feel like this uh, strongly. I always compare to Olympics because I like to, I do a lot of sports and uh, when somebody will wins, the, there's actually 7,000 people who won a gold medal in the Olympics. So it's more people who won a gold medal in Olympics than people who were co-founders of a unicorn company. Okay. So it's a much. Uh, rare, more rare to build a unicorn company. So if you look at a person who wins the Olympics, okay, what is important? What is more important? His genetics. Okay. That would be for me, the equivalent of business model. Okay. What is the business model or for example, his, uh, training effort, his training effort or his discipline, hard work, or his diet or his uh, the right environment that he grows up in a place where there's a stadium and there's a team and there are coaches and there's an environment which encourages you know and uh, this this activity and what you find is for olympic champions you need all four 
because if you have even one of the four meat uh, missing, if you know, if you have the best genetics, but you eat, uh, you know, French fries and Coca-Cola from uh, 10 years old to 15 years old, unfortunately, you will not make it. So for unicorns, it's the same. It's unfortunately uh, team, team, team is not enough because unless, okay, if the team, sometimes in Olympics, you have uh, genetic mutants, you know, they're just like, the genetics is so strong that it doesn't matter, you know, like they, they are basically they're mutants, you know, it's like, it's usually not normal. They, they're like, whatever, it's unbelievable, strong or something like that. Uh, but in normal, in normal cases, you need, I definitely uh, look at, it, it, it has to be uh, a very good score on all of them. So it's, it's not enough. So for me, uh, and that's what makes our job so difficult. You know, sometimes you have a business model that's so strong that it pushes out hundreds of teams all around the globe, no matter, you know, how weak the teams are, it becomes like hundred million. If the, if the team is very weak, it still becomes a hundred million dollar business, you know? So I have seen, I have seen a lot of those. So basically, but for a unicorn and even more for a decacorn, you, you need all of them basically in place. So what I look for is a market with a big population. So I like markets with a population over hundred million. So when you have a population over hundred million, almost everything is big enough, you know, it's big enough. So it's like, if you do food in India, I mean, it's going to be big enough, you know? So it's like, uh, <laughs> you don't need, you don't need to do due diligence, uh, to find out if there's, if food distribution is big enough in India or cars in, in Mexico, you know, or like, Nigeria is banking in Nigeria going to be big enough. You know, it's, it's going to be big enough. So, uh, big markets, uh, founders who are very fast execution based and, and so on. And, and, uh, yeah, and business models, I think, uh, when, when you go to really, uh, now I can afford it. Now I'm already 40 years old and my family is well off and I can now do some innovation based investing. So mm -hmm. when I really, I do invest in people who just try to solve a problem that has not been solved before there it's team, team, team. So basically it's like, it's, it, they're trying to solve something that nobody has solved and, and thousands of people have failed. <laughs> thousands of people have failed. <laughs> so that's, that's where it becomes team, team, team. Uh, maybe Oscar, you, you touched upon the topic of sports and I, I briefly want to, to discuss that with you because I watched your website. And you talk a bit about your, you call it hobbies. <laughs> yeah. And then I start reading your hobbies. And then you mentioned that you broke the world record rowing. Yes. And that you're uh, engaging in professional cycling where you have an Olympic Russian medalist as your trainer. So I don't know if you should call that a hobby or a kind of profession. But my, yeah. what, I was, what I was wondering is, why do you feel the need to do this? Because you are this kind of extreme performer in terms of building companies, investing companies. And now it seems that you also want to have extreme performance in a totally different dimension. And so my, my question is a bit, why? why? Why do you feel the need to, next to this extreme performance that you already have in your kind of business career, also engage in this kind of extreme activity in terms of sports? Yeah. So, uh, when I was 20, I was diagnosed with bacterial disease. It was, uh, it's unhealable, it's unhealable autoimmune disease, which mm -hmm. breaks your joints and it makes your back go 
bent and at the end you don't see the sky anymore and usually uh, by 40 years old you, you you have a very high probability of uh, basically that you you are not able to work okay mm -hmm. so uh, with, with my child when you we, when you have an unhealable sickness you have to go uh, into magic land <laughs> you know <laughs> where when science cannot help you you have to believe in magic that's what happens. You start believing in magic. You know, mm -hmm. I used to work in a hospital. So my stupid idea was if, if I have a sickness that's bending me forward, I need to do a sport that bending my back backwards. Okay. So rowing, rowing is the exact opposite movement of what the sickness is doing to me. Uh -huh. So that, that's how I started rowing. And then I did it and it, it made my, it made, it made my pain go away. Mm -hmm. So when I was rowing a lot, I had no pain. So it was my, uh, basically my pain killer. And I was rowing and I was always imagining that I'm rowing against Pechterev. So every training I was imagining that I'm, it's my healing process. Obviously this is fantasy, but it, it is what it is, you know? So, uh, and then I was rowing, 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 and I started, uh, checking numbers and I entered top hundred. And then I became, and then my childhood, my, the child in me woke up and said, wow, what is if you go out all out for two years and you live with uh, Olympic teams? And what if you just go and I just sold the company. So I had the opportunity to just become an athlete and live a completely different life, mm -hmm. like a, like a mini life, which is completely different. Uh, and that, so it, became, so it, it was very attractive to me. So I did it and I broke two world records in 2019. Uh, and it was a fantastic experience. And what I learned from that is that now any sports that I do, I always want to do it that way. Because when you have a big goal like this, what happens is you have a team around you. So you have trainers, mentors, you have co-athletes, you have psychologists, you have always a psychologist and things like that. And this team, you learn so much more from them than just the sports. So when I was, when I started cycling, I immediately wanted to build this team and to train mm. with, with a national team. Can you imagine the atmosphere? Mm. It's not like, it's not like you're going to the sports, like you know, you're doing this fitness and checking Instagram at the same time. It's like ev every morning you start with like, wow, it's the atmosphere is so nice. You know? So it's, I want to continue doing this all my, as long as I can, because the interesting thing is when you do sports like that, it only takes two times more time than when you do it super sluggishly. <laughs> so, so when you, when, you, you, you have to move your body at the end, if you don't move your body, nature will force you to, so you have to move your body for six hours a week, no matter what, you know, like okay, you, you can reduce it to three hours a week. If, if you're working like hundred hour weeks or whatever, but only for a short while, it will go, it will go down your, your ability. So you have to move for, so if you do sports professionally, like for example, I'm, I'm doing now, it, it takes like 12 to 14 hours a week. It's mm. not much more. It's a small compared to business where you can go to hundred hours. You cannot go to hundred hours a week in sports. It's mm. impossible. Mm. So it's, it's funny that you can, it's, it's such a good payoff because you have so much bigger results and you have so much more fun and you have so much more excitement, uh, for very, for a very small investment that you have to do it anyway. So that's kind of my, um, my, my story about sports and, uh, and I love it, you know, and my, my, 
so now I'm 41 years old. I'm mm-hmm. not, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm able to not only be able to work, so I'm not handicapped, but I, I can sprint, you know, I can sprint like today in the morning, I sprinted hundred meters under 12 seconds. So there's a big difference between handicapped and sprinting hundred meters under 12 seconds. You know, it's a big, mm. <laughs> it's a, yeah, the, the it, diagnosis of the sickness is still there. I suppose not this yeah, sickness didn't magically yeah. disappear, not? Yeah, it's still there. It's still there, but science has made breakthroughs. Uh, in this field, so there are several breakthroughs. Okay. Uh, w- w- so that ha- that very likely it will be able, it will it will be possible to live with this uh, okay. much better okay. in in the coming you know ten years. Okay. So so Oscar, you know I've been a competitive athlete my whole life as well, and you know I, I'm with you that you can only do so much sport in a day or so many hours in a week. But when you get to a certain level, it's not the amount of training that makes a difference. It's the amount of recovery time that makes a difference. And through all of my entrepreneurial journeys, the thing that I sacrificed first was the recovery time. It was less sleep. It was less meditation, less focus, more traveling, more business meetings, more cocktail parties, more stressors that dominated the time in my life that I had previously used for rest and recovery, rest and digest, parasympathetic activity. What do you, do you feel that if you were still in builder mode, you would be able to perform athletically at the level that you are now? Would you be able to do that? Or are you able to do this now because you're not, because your wife said, "Uh uh-uh, no building for five years. And uh, that gives you more time to recover and rest and focus on this other stuff. Yeah, I think the answer is no, no would not be able to do this. Uh, the first couple of years of building, uh, creating something out of nothing is like an all out effort. You know? mm-hmm. And somehow I, I have built more than 10 companies with my own hands and no matter, even like, even when you say this time, I'm going to do it more balanced and whatever else you, you, it's like, I always say, it's like having sex with a gorilla, you know, <laughs> you are not done before the gorilla is not done. So it's, it's very simple. It's like, uh, and, uh, yeah. Mm. And so, yeah, but the, the, my answer is seasons seasons mm. so uh i i i work in se- like in sports you know you have yeah. uh, you have hyper compensation week you have this you have seasons so the same i do for short seasons and long seasons so i definitely want to build more companies in my life but now is my season to become to be a dad because right now is prime time it's like the top peak uh, like my kids are now you know 8 12 and 15 mm. this is like where they need the father the most by all yeah. book like if i'm building now i'm i never get the chance like i'm never gonna get the chance to make that up so i'm i'm living peak family peak sports is uh in most sports is over but i can still compete you know in like masters or whatever mm-hmm. but um yeah that was also my motivation in 2019 i said that's my last chance my last chance to break a world record because after 37 
it's not going to happen. You know, it's just, it's, <laughs> it's not. So, yeah. So I think it's very important to design your life uh, very long term. So I have a, basically I have a life design where the next 10 years I'm still unicorn hunting. So I'm, mm. I want to, you know, find hundred unicorns, 15 business, 15 life. I call them life unicorns, like extraordinary experiences, which you will never forget again. After that, I want to build one more when my kids move out of the home and uh, we have, I want to build one more company, one more world changing uh, organization. I really do. Um, and then after that, I want to build a university. So a distributed university. I think uh, what Otto Beisheim did with WHO might have been his biggest achievement in spite of other achievements. So I think building a university is uh, the logical conclusion of all my philanthropy because I'm, I did a lot of things in, in philanthropy and entrepreneurship development, leadership, scholarship programs and things like that. So that's my, uh, so my, my work, my, and inside every year, for example, all of August, every year, all of August, I put happiness as first priority. So 11 months out of 12 months, happiness is not first priority. Okay. It's getting things done, you know, focusing on your priorities, doing the, I'm just, you know, taking action, building, doing whatever. But August <laughs> is my happy month, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. So it's, I'm, I'm a Buddhist in August and I'm a Protestant German in the other. <laughs> <laughs> Oscar, uh, unfortunately we are running out of time because I really would enjoy kind of continuing, but we have some strict deadlines here. So we always have a final question for our guests, namely, uh, if you have uh, specific recommendations in terms of books or podcasts for our audience that you think could be inspiring for them, do you have any suggestions? Uh, let me open my book. I, I, I listen to so many books. Uh, so it's, uh, it's absolutely. So my last books that I read, uh, the Quran. Okay. I, I, <laughs> uh, reading. Yeah. Why not? I read the Bible. Uh, my, my mm -hmm. friend asked me to be the godfather of his daughter. Yeah. Uh, so I, I said, I have to read the Bible again before I become mm -hmm. the godfather. And then, and then I read the, and then I read the Quran. I think, um, okay. A very good book that I, I think is very good for entrepreneurs is the rational optimist, mm. the rational optimist. Mm -hmm. And, but, but generally, you know, like on most topics where people have already figured it out, there's all, usually only three, four books. Mm. Like when people work, for example, people work how physics works around objects. So there's like four books around physics and objects and you read them and you know how it works. You only need four books. On, on stuff that we have not figured out in 6,000 years, there will be thousands of books. You know, there's, there's thousands of books on is there free will or no free will consciousness. And the most books you have about leadership and business. <laughs> that just means we have not figured it out. Yeah. We have no figured it out. I, I, I think you have learning by doing is, uh, and, and learning on demand what you are doing exactly what you're doing is what you should be learning. Uh, not just in case you learn this and that, and that just in case. So I think the best habit to have is to learn a little bit, 
exactly what you're doing right now at this moment, what, what, you're, what you need at the moment. And now AI is the best help for that. It's like having a best friend that you can ask uh, to summarize all books before you do something. You know, oh, I'm going to visit my grandmother. What are the top things to talk about with your grandmother? And like, boom, it will. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Yes, great advice. Thanks for that. Okay, Oscar, then I think we have to close it down here because yeah. our hour has been passed by actually very yeah. rapidly. So thanks a lot for sharing actually your experiences, Absolutely. your insights. I think they can be very helpful for our community. And of course, I also want to thank our listeners to listen to this episode. And we hope you will come back for our next yeah. episodes on this podcast. Bye. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks, guys.